Welcome to the Adventure Church Podcast. For more information about Adventure Church, please visit our website at adventurechurch.tv. Now prepare your hearts for a message from God's Word. Good morning, Adventure Church. Good morning. I'm Jake Worth, the associate pastor here, and I've got the privilege of speaking to you this morning as we continue in the Walking Dead series. How many of you have enjoyed this series thus far? Right? Awesome series. How many of you love zombies? Not many of you. It's gruesome. It, it's, it's really kind of a weird topic. And as I was preparing for this message, um, getting ready to speak within the Walking Dead series, I thought I need to uh, inform myself and, and get some knowledge about zombies and the apocalypse. So I started, you know, researching different things. And I want to know, okay, you know, some people, you know, not a lot of people, but some people believe that they're may potentially be a zombie apocalypse. So I was curious as to what they think, you know, the survival rates would be. And I found this really, really detailed map of America. I'm going to show in a second. Um, And it's basically going to show, oh, there it is. Okay, so very, very detailed map of America and how we would, uh, uh, you know, survive in an apocalypse if it were to happen. Good news, Ohio's in the green. So that means we are one of the states that's going to survive. Uh, it looks like Nebraska is going to turn into uh, Nebraska. Um, down near Texas, we've got zombie land. Um, so, you know, there's definitely some peace there. Obviously, a few states didn't make it. Um, so that's how we're going to fare as a nation. I started thinking about how would I fare if there was a zombie apocalypse? And there's this awesome test that I was able to take. And unfortunately for me, um, I scored a 49 out of 100, a failing rate, unless you're in the public school system, then you, you pass. Um, 49 of 100, I, I didn't get it. I thought that I would do pretty well, um, but apparently it's a necessity in an apocalypse to be able to eat canned food without an expiration date, and I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it, so they docked me. So anyways, we're talking about the walking dead. We're talking about what it's like living a life as a zombie, walking through everyday life without purpose, without joy, without meaning, and really walking through life without the life to the fullest that Jesus Christ came, died, rose again so that we could have. And through the first two weeks, Pastor Kyle kind of broke down, first of all, zombieology, what it looks like to be a zombie. What does that look like? What does it look like to have that type of lifestyle? And then the second week, he talked about zombie tactics, we talked about the enemy strategy and how the enemy of our souls, the devil, has, has a few different tools that he uses to, as Pastor Kyle said, keep us asleep, keep us in that zombie frame of mind. He talked about how he uses doubts, doubting um, whether it's the calling of God or really doubting God's provision, distractions, distractions, dissatisfaction. And it's so important for us to be able to recognize those and be able to um, really, when the enemy comes against us, be able to see those and know them for what they are. Just as any um, good sports team, you know, watches film about their upcoming, uh, upcoming opponent, you know, so that when they're in the game, they can recognize the opponent's strategy and be able to react. We've got to be able to recognize our enemy's strategy. Because far too many times in life, we just think it's just how it is, right? And the years go by, and this is just how life is. And we come across doubts and distractions and dissatisfaction, but we don't view them as that. We, a lot of times, look at doubts, and we call them concerns, right? God calls you to do something. God uh, challenges you to, to make a step of faith. And what do we say? Well, I'm just concerned, you know, how this is going to affect my budgets. I'm concerned that I'm not going to be able to provide for my family. A lot of times it revolves around finances. But in reality, it's a doubt. 
but we call it a concern, and we're doubting that God's going to take care of us if we pursue the life that he's calling us to live. But the first truth is this morning up on the screen, God's calling is always accompanied by his provision. We've got to take hold of that. We've got to, when the, the enemy comes against us and, and speaks those doubts in our hearts, we've got to say, no, no, no. If God calls me to go in this direction, you better believe he's going to provide for me to move forward in that way. The other thing is, is that when distractions, we call them desires, right? Maybe God's calling you to go into a certain um, profession or switch professions or, or move or whatever it may be. And a lot of times it's like, well, man, I don't know if I'm going to be able to maintain the lifestyle, you know, that I've got. I don't, I mean, it's, it's desires, right? I mean, it's just desires in my heart. God wants me to have my desires, right? And that's what we call it. That's how we justify it. But in reality, they're distractions, and they distract us from the life we were created to live. The other truth this morning, right off the bat, is that God's way of life is the only way to life. There is no life outside that of life in Jesus Christ and the one that he wants us to live. So that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. How do we live life to the fullest? How do we walk throughout our lives and, and really have an abundant life rather than surviving as a bloodthirsty zombie? How do we thrive? And, and God gave us the cure, right? Jesus Christ. That's how we can be cured of the death that we were destined to have. But because he came, lived, died, and rose again, we can be brought into relationship. Thank God for the cure, Jesus Christ. But as we've been cured, he's also provided another thing for us, really the vaccine. How we can not go back to that way of life, but truly keep on living every single day. And what I'm going to talk about this morning is how we need to discover three things Almost on a daily basis, we need to discover and rediscover three things. Before we get into that, let's pray. Let's ask God to speak to us this morning, okay? Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you, Jesus, that you're an, an active God, that you're here this morning. And although there are a lot of us here coming from different backgrounds, we've all got different situations going on. We've all um, got different circumstances in our life. You know how to take one message and speak to many hearts. And that's what I'm asking you to do. And I know that I can't do it in and of myself, but you can. So we trust that you're going to speak to us. We trust that you're going to challenge us and, and really convict us if you, if you need to, God, because we want this life. We want this life that you've created us to live. And everyone said, amen. So a, a few years ago, I went through um, what would you call a, an identity crisis. And by a few years ago, I mean between the ages of five and 12, okay? You're laughing, but it was a serious thing, all right? I loved playing pretend. I love pretending to be anything other than what I actually was. So we're talking, you know, cowboys and Indians, police and robbers, soldiers, the whole deal. And I loved every single character that I pretended to be in. Some characters I didn't really love, but I was coaxed into it by my older siblings. Case in point, when I was five, my siblings, older siblings, Josh and Caitlin, thought it would be a great idea if I spent our entire vacation down in Florida as a dog named Ami which was actually a dog that we owned. And it was a horrible dog. We got rid of it. It was just, it was, it was so bad. But they thought, Jake, it would be so cute if you pretended to be a dog. And I kid you not, for seven straight days down in Florida, I pretend to be a dog. I sat like a dog. My mom's got footage of it. I wish I would have been able to bring it in here. I talk like a dog. I ate like a dog. I remember there's footage of us running along the beach and everyone else is just, you know, walking. And there's Jake, you know, prouncing around in the waves. I'm not about to, you know, reenact that whole situation very dark time in my life. Um, 
But fast forward, seven years later, I'm 12 years old, my parents got me a mini bike. And for any 12 year old, that's like the coolest thing in the world. So of course, I'm not just a 12 year old on a mini bike, I'm a daredevil, I'm Evil Knievel. And, and I like to do like this kind of crossbreeding type deal. So I wasn't just Evil Knievel. I was like Evil Knievel mixed in with Metal Gear Solid Snake, which is a soldier. So I had the camo gear on and all that jazz. And I'm driving around. I'm ruthless until I take a corner too fast. I don't know how that's possible when it only goes about eight miles an hour. But I took a corner too fast. I wipe out. I'm on the ground. And the first thought that I had was I got to get up and grab my bike because if my parents see that I got in an accident, they're going to take my bike away. That's what they, they told the rule was. So I jump up, I reach down to grab my mini bike, and as I'm reaching down, I look down, and to my surprise, there was a, a hole in my leg that wasn't there before. And, and I'm, I'm not trying to, you know, gross anyone out here, but the kickstand had actually, like, flung open and punctured my leg. And I was seeing, a, 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 it had a different perception of my leg that I'd never seen before, the inside of it. And so I freak out. I'm crying. I'm screaming. I'm about 100, 125 yards out from the house. I'm running towards the house, screaming, crying, dragging my leg like I don't have a leg at all. And my mom and younger sister Susan are up in the house, and I kid you not, are laughing at me, looking out the window, laughing hysterically hysterically. And before you think that I had a horrible family life, the other game that I loved to play when I was young was Cry Wolf. Are you guys familiar with Cry Wolf? Love playing Cry Wolf. Oh my goodness. Anytime that I could come into the house and make up a lie about something that was going to freak my parents out, I did it. So as I was running towards the house crying and screaming, my mom thought, he's crying wolf. He's joking around until I got up to the screen door and she looked at my leg and then she was saying something else and rushing me to the hospital. Ten stitches later, three on the inside, seven on the outside, I paid very, very dearly for my game of pretend. Now fast forward, I'm 27 years old and I'm not about to tell you that I still play pretend and dress up like that, but what I'm about to say is that I still wrestle with an identity crisis within my heart. And I think that if we're all honest with each other, we all battle with that on a daily basis. Who are we? Who am I supposed to be? Who does the Bible say that I am? And if we are going to live a life abundantly for Christ, that's the first thing I'm going to challenge us to discover, is we have to discover who we are. And a lot of times as Christians, we come into relationship with God. We get saved. It's an amazing day. But then it stops right? I'm saved. I'm good. I know I'm not going to hell. I'm good. But we never walk into that identity that God so badly wants for us. And my first challenge this morning is that we have to move forward from being simply saved by God and move into our identity in who we are in Christ. And uh, the Bible talks a lot about who we are in Christ. So many positive affirmations about who we are. I would, you know, encourage you to Google it. Who does the Bible say that I am? You're going to find some really, really encouraging stuff. But this morning, I want to talk about two titles that we have to own if we're going to live this life abundant that we're called to live. The first one is that we've got to know that we are a new creation. 2 Corinthians 5, 14 through 17. Since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that we have all died to our old life. Stop right there. We believe that he died for us. We come into relationship with us, and now we die to our old life. It's gone. It's no more. He died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. That's, oh man, that's tough right there. Right off the bat, checking my pride no longer living for myself. Instead, we're going to live for Christ, who died and was raised for them. 
This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. I'm here to tell you this morning that if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you're a new creation. And I'm also here to tell you that that is something that the enemy does not want you to know. And you may know that you were bought with the price of Christ's life. You may believe that with all your heart, but maybe you're here this morning and you don't feel it. I don't know about you, but there's plenty of days where I've got a lot of different reasons floating around in my head that I'm not a new creation. Whether it's something I did yesterday, whether it's the past, you know, mistakes over the last few years, and the enemy, like we talked about that last week, starts speaking these doubts into us. You're not a new creation. Come on. Come on, look at your life. Look at how you're living. You're stressed out like everyone else. You're worried just like everyone else. You live for yourself like everyone else. Especially if you're a new Christian, you got saved a month ago. Come on. You're no different than you were two months ago. And we accept that. We, we believe that. And all of a sudden, it really does. It transforms our identity, and it transforms how we live. I want to challenge you this morning. There's a saying that says, um, fake it till you make it. I don't think that applies at all to this at all. Um, but it did make me think of a different statement. Believe it before you see it. Believe it before you see it. I'm living proof of this. I can, I can think of many, many times in my life, many days waking up thinking I'm no different than who I would be without Christ. And for a long time, I accepted that, and my life never changed. But something drastic happened when I started believing it before I even saw it happen. And that's what I want to encourage you to do on a daily basis. Believe that you're a new creation before you even see the fruit. And when the enemy comes against you and says, you're no different than who you were without God, you're just like everyone else, you stand and you say, yeah, but that's not who the Bible says I am. And yeah, that's, that's what I did. You're right. I've got plenty of sins stacked up against me. But the Bible says that I'm a new creation, so I'm going to believe that I'm a new creation. And I don't see it yet, and I don't see the fruit of that new creation in my life yet, but I believe that God planted a seed in my heart. And I promise you, it makes all the difference when we place our faith in Christ, even long before we see that drastic difference. The second thing that we've got to own up is that we're God's child. God's child. Galatians 3.26. For you are all children of God through faith in Jesus Christ. This is kind of a weird concept. And I know that for me, I grew up in a small Christian school, went to church my whole life. So I read stuff like that. I'm like, yeah, I'm God's child. And I think that for a lot of us, if you didn't grow up in church, it's just like, really? Like, why do you want to be called a child? Like, that's not something, not a way that we compliment each other. You know, if you're in a basketball game and you did really well, your coaches and players, oh, man, you did a great job, man, playing like a four-year-old out there, bro. Really, really good job. Why? Why do we need to know that we are a child of God? Because when, when Jesus Christ says that when you come in a relationship with me, you become my child, you become my heir, that signifies that there's a huge relationship change that changed all of mankind. But because before Jesus Christ came and died for us, we were under the law. And without going into great detail, we were under rules, regulations. We had to keep it all in order in order to have that relationship with God. When we messed up, in order to fix it, we had to do sacrifices in order to maintain that relationship. And then all of a sudden, Jesus Christ came, and he changed the whole situation. And now when we place our faith, it's as easy as placing your faith in Jesus Christ. All of a sudden, he says, you're no longer a slave. You're not under that anymore. You're no longer just a servant, but now you're 
my child and I adopt you into relationship with me. Galatians 4, 7, you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are his child, God made you his heir. And a lot of times in our Christian walk, the first thing that we do when we accept salvation is, all right, what do you want me to do, God? What do you want me to do? As if we got hired by a business. All right, what's my role? We jump into our role. And God wants us to first know our relationship, and it changes everything. The best um, example that I can think of is my relationship with my dad. Besides getting spanked a lot as a kid, me and my dad have a great relationship. Great relationship. He's always been kind and, and, and the most temperate man that I've ever known. I always pushed the limits. Like I remember when we were driving down for that trip to Florida. It's, uh, I don't even know, 20, definitely plus 20 hours. Um, and we are not five minutes out of the house at 3 a.m. in the morning. And I am just, I'm, I'm uncomfortable. We've got, we had, you know, uh, six people in this car, driving down to Florida. I'm uncomfortable, and I'm fidgeting, and I'm kicking his seat, and my dad so gently, Jacob, Jacob, please don't do that. Please don't kick my seat. And I'm thinking, Dad, Mom always does the punishing. You're not going to do anything about it. Jacob, please, I'm going to pull the car over. Uh-huh, sure you are. And I keep fidgeting. You better believe I peed my pants when I heard those tires hit the gravel. He whipped me out, slapped me around. But we've always had a great relationship. And for nine years, I worked for my dad's landscaping business. From freshman year in high school all the way through college, my first year uh, out of college. And he was my boss. He was my employer. He paid me. He told me what to do, how to go do it. When I messed up, he told me how to fix it. He paid me the whole deal. My relationship and my experience with my dad during that time period was drastically different than the experience of the other employees in the company. And you're looking at me, you're like, well, duh, Jake, it's because you were his child, you know? Exactly. And no matter how my role changed, at the end of the day, I always knew my relationship. And it changed. When he told me what to do, it came through the lens of, not just the lens of, this is my boss telling me what to do, but I knew this was my dad telling me what to do. And when my dad gave me encouragement and challenged me, I knew that he wasn't just thinking about me simply as an employee that he wanted to get a profit off of, but he was looking at me as his child, as his son. He was thinking about my best interests. He was thinking about our, my future, thinking about how to help me, thinking about how to help his son grow up and be successful. And that's exactly the type of perception that we have to have in God. Because if we simply look at our relationship with God as a God that saved us and now we owe him, and he's hanging over us like a supervisor, all right, do this, do this, we will undoubtedly stumble right back into that zombie way of life wanting more. We will be discontent with that type of relationship. But if we accept that we are God's children, and at the end of the day, no matter what God calls you to do, that first and foremost, he wants to be your father, changes everything. And when struggles come your way, you know that you have a father that's looking out for you. When you don't know how the bills are going to get paid, you know that you have a father that's always going to provide. When you need peace, when you need comfort, you know that you have a father that will give you exactly what you need to truly live for him. We have to have that type of relationship with him. And like I said, if we forego that, if we miss it, and, and, and we don't enter into that relationship, and all we do is, is enter our role, we're going to miss the point. We're going to miss out on the life. Before we enter our role, we have to know our relationship. 
So first we've got to discover who we are. We're God's new creation. The old is gone. You may not see it yet, but you've got to believe it. And if you place your faith in Jesus Christ, you better believe that he's going to work in you and he's going to work that salvation in and out of you and into your life. Secondly, we've got to know that we're God's children and know our relationship with him before we know our role. Secondly, we've got to discover what we're called to do. Now we're talking about the role. We're talking about, okay, I, I, I've, I've, I asked Jesus to come into my life. I've got relationship with him. I know who I am in him. And that's something that I know that I have to rediscover on a daily basis. But now what does God want me to do? In Matthew 28, 16 through 20, um, Jesus is spending 40 days with the disciples after he died, rose again, and he came back to earth and spent time with them. How cool is that? You just saw someone die. Up on the cross, you saw him buried. Now the gravesite is empty, and he's alive, and he's hanging out with you. And, and, and he's showing you new things, and he's just about to ascend to heaven, and he ends up giving the Great Commission. So instead of giving him 10%, he gave him 25%, the Great Commission. Not that type of commission. Come on, guys. Come on. The Great Commission. He lays out the vision for every single Christ follower. All right, as I leave you, I'm going to give you my Holy Spirit, and it's going to empower you from the inside out to live for me. This is what it looks like to be a Christ follower. Go into all the world and make disciples. That's the vision. That's the vision of every single person in this room. And he gets even more specific, and he gives us our mission statement earlier on uh, in Matthew 22. Two commands. They used to be under all these commandments before, and they ask, hey, which one's the greatest commandment? Tell us, well, what's the one that we really need to concentrate on? No, 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 there's actually only two. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and might, and love your neighbor as yourself. Love God, love others. The vision Making disciples, telling everybody about the good news, telling everybody about the life that we have. How do we do that? We love God. We love others. That's our starting point. If you're questioning, what, man, what does God want me to do with my life? I don't know. And you're trying to think of all these specific ways to serve him. Trying to think of this job um, description that you don't know what God wants you to do. Start there. Love God, love others. I, I battle with that oftentimes because I believe that I know what God's called me to do. But sometimes I'm, I'm discontent with that. And I come back to this and I'm like, man, it doesn't matter how good or bad I preach. It doesn't matter how good or bad I play guitar. If I can love God and love others, I'm going to be fulfilling the vision that Christ has given me. And if I don't, it, let's just say I'm the best preacher in the world and I'm the best guitarist and I'm doing all these magnificent things for God and I don't have love on the flip side, the Bible says that I'm nothing. I'm of no value. 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 3, I may be able to speak the languages of men and angels, but if I do not have love, it will sound like noisy brass. Noisy brass. If you don't know what that is, that's like if we uh, invited Pastor Kyle's little daughter, Riley, three years old, to come play the drums. That's what that's going to sound like. Noisy brass. If I have the gift of speaking God's word, and if I understand all secrets but do not have love, I am nothing. If I know all things, and if I have the gift of faith so I can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give everything I have to feed the poor uh, people, and if I give my body to be burned, but do not have love, it will not help me. Those are some pretty awesome things. Those are some an amazing things. Faith to move mountains, but if I don't have love, I'm missing the point. And a lot of times, again, when our role is, is just doing, okay, I'm, I'm going to do something, and I'm going to change history. I want to impact this world, and we're constantly looking to make our mark that way. 
but we don't have love flowing in and through us, we're missing the point. That's why we launched the You Are Love campaign. I'm sure you've seen the cards um, underneath you or the seat next to you. You Are Love, and it's simply a card that just says, you're loved by our church and, and by God. And it's a simple way of being intentional about the love of God. And a lot of you would think, well, we shouldn't have to give cards away to to love people. Exactly. But sometimes we need a jump start. I don't know about you, but I have those cards in my my car, and it's a constant reminder, man, how am I loving people? Because it doesn't matter what I do today and what I accomplish. If I miss that, I'm going to miss the entire point. It's an incredible reminder. You are a love campaign. I I really encourage you to, to grab those, take them home, have them in your car. Let them be a reminder of you and think of creative and intentional ways of of showing love to people. Here's the thing about zombies. Zombies have one purpose, one identity, one role, and that's feeding off of each other. It's quite gruesome. I don't know if you like The Walking Dead, but it's, it's very gruesome. They feed off of each other. That's what their identity and their life revolves around. When we don't love others, when we don't love God and love others, that's exactly what we become. We become zombies constantly just pulling from others, walking through life. What can you do for me? How can you pour into me when we are called to be the exact opposite, but rather be rivers of life, rather be springs of love and joy and peace? And I know that we don't struggle with that in this room, but I'm sure you can all think of someone in your life, man, that person is just draining. My goodness, every time I'm with them, they just, they they give me all their problems and it's all about them and we never do that. I I mean, we never do that. But we become zombies by constantly just draining the world around us. And what God's calling us to first, make disciples. That's the vision. If you've been questioning your role as a Christ follower, start there. Just simply share your story. Simply share your story. I get more stressed out about sharing my story with someone that doesn't know God more than anyone because I'm constantly, those doubts are in my mind. You're going to mess up. You're going to say something that's going to turn them even further away from God. That's what I think. And the whole time, Jesus is just saying, man, just show them love. Just tell them your story. I was lost. My life was in a really dark place. Jesus saved me. I don't know about you, but really, I think you could, should consider this whole God and Jesus and saving you from an eternity of darkness. <laughs> Sharing the love with others. Lastly, we've got to discover how to do it. So going even further, here's the thing about us, is that we've got this universal calling that every single one of us has in this room to make disciples, to love God, love others. But he's all created us very, very differently from one another. We're all so unique, and we all have been given specific gifts to use for him. 1 Peter 4, 10 through 12 Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. A couple things throughout that verse. First of all, we've all been given specific gifts. They're all different. Your specific gift um, may be owning and managing a business, and you're just really, really good at that. Or you're a chef, or you love numbers. I'll tell you right now, that is not my spiritual gift. 
If you're an accountant, I have so much respect for you because I get stressed out. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, Jeff Saggy is an accountant here in the church, and I love being around him because he's so passionate about it. And I crack up because I'm like, they're numbers, man. And he's just like, yeah, let's do this. You know, okay, we can do this. Okay, we got to carry this over there. I, I'm like, man, I, I love it. We've all got different gifts. Maybe your gift you're thinking about that, and you're like, man, what, what am I gifted in? I, I run a nine-to-five job. It's pretty straightforward. I don't have one of those gifts. What I'm telling you, you do. Your gift may not be as prominent, but it's equally as effective. Let me say that again. Maybe your gift isn't as prominent as someone that's got this elaborate job. We always think of sports athletes. That's someone that's gifted. LeBron James, that's someone that's gifted. Thank good he came. Thank God he came back to Cleveland. <laughs> that's someone that's gifted. I don't have someone like that. And we start to question, man, God, why did you skimp out on me? Did I fall off the conveyor belt? Why didn't you pour something into me? Because it may not be as prominent as someone else's gift, but equally as effective. Maybe you've got the gift of compassion, and it's something that maybe hasn't made you a dime your whole entire life. But when people are down and out, you're the one person they want to talk to. Compassion, joy, Maybe you've got the gift of joy, and people just love being around you. You breathe life into them. Using that specific gift, no matter how prominent it may be, using it for God's unrestricted glory. That's the other thing that it says in, in, that, um, in 1 Peter. So that in all things, we would bring glory to Christ using that specific thing so that it would contaminate, a horrible word to use in this instance, but contaminate our entire lives so that everything would receive, that everything would would produce glory for God. And a lot of times, we get stuck in our specific gifting. We know what we're called to do. I, I believe that I have a calling on my life to do ministry. But if my, if the glory that God receives only happens when I am within this role, using my specific gift, missing the point, but rather this specific gift should empower my entire life to give him all unrestricted praise and glory. We've been given specific gifts for God's unrestricted glory. Some of you here this morning, again, may be questioning, I don't know what I'm gifted at. Some of us have, you know, had the same gift since we were 12 years old. I've always known this is what I was gifted to do. It's always been something that I've been passionate about. But for others of us, and I've gone through this over the last few years, man, what is it that God's calling me to do? And we'd like to help you out here at Adventure Church. We've got a tool, especially called a spiritual assessment test. And, and what this is going to do is, first of all, it's not going to tell you what to do with your life. It's not going to, you know, you're not going to hit enter and, all right, you're moving to San Diego next week. You know, no. But what it's going to do is it's going to help bring clarity to some of the giftings that you do have that maybe you didn't realize that you have. Because a lot of us, you know, it's not easy to say, I'm good at this. I know this is what I'm good at. A lot of times we live life and we're exercising the gifts, but we're just not aware of it. And even just that awakening and realizing uh, what God's gifted us to do will help us then, okay, this is what I'm passionate about. Man, I didn't really think about that. I am good at that. I am passionate about it. That is an area that God's gifted me. Okay, now let's put First Peter to work And how can I use this to serve others, to serve God, and use this specific gift for God's unrestricted glory? So we've got to, first of all, discover who we are. We're a new creation. No matter whether you see it, 
or feel it this morning. We've got to believe it. Secondly, we're God's children. He brings us into relationship with him. Before establishing our role and what God wants you to do, you have to first and foremost know that he calls you a son and a daughter, and that changes everything. When we stop looking at God like he's our boss and start looking at him like he's our father, because he is. We've got to discover what we're called to do. We all have the universal calling of sharing the good news of making disciples. We do that simply by loving God and loving others. And then lastly, as the band um, heads up to the stage, we discover how to do it. In what area am I gifted in? In what area does God want to pour himself specifically through me so that he can receive the glory? Now, I understand those are three very, very simple steps um, you know, and a lot of times I think about it, it's like, all right, just knock out these three steps and life abundant, and boom, and it's so easy, but it's really easier said than done, especially if you've got years of living the complete opposite. Maybe you've got years that you look at, and man, that was wasted time. I was living for myself. Or maybe you've got sin in your life and sin in your past and the enemy is constantly using those variables to bind you and to keep you from discovering this life in Christ. And every single time you feel like you're making a step forward, he reminds you of where you were and you were going, oh my goodness, I can't recover from that. I can't recover from doing that. I don't have new life. When the enemy is saying, come on, man, you say you got a new life. That wasn't some new life type living last night. <laughs> and we, we listen to that. And because we listen to it and we accept it, it changes our entire lifestyle. As I was uh, doing some more research about zombies and all that crazy stuff, one thing that I found, which I thought was very, very interesting, was um, my research on vaccines. And I found this definition that says... When they're forming a, a vaccine, typically it contains an agent that resembles a disease-causing microorganism and is often made from the weakened or killed forms of the, the disease that we're trying to fight against, its toxins, or one of its surface proteins. I don't know what surface proteins are, but what I do get from there is that they use a piece of the disease that we're trying to stay immune from in the process of creating the very thing that's going to help us stay healthy. And so what I want to say to you this morning is the very things that, God, that the enemy is using on a daily basis to bind you and keep you from life in Christ, God wants to use to remind you of what he did for you. And when we walk through life and he speaks those doubts and those distractions, those dis dis fattest, dissatisfaction comes into our life, we're able to say, no, 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 no. I recognize that. My body recognizes that. Just as a vaccine, they use that uh, part of the disease so that our bodies can recognize it, build immunity against it, and stay healthy when we come into contact with it. And so when we come in contact with the devil's doubts, his dissatisfaction, the distractions, we're able to say, no, 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 I recognize that. Not because I never sinned, not because I never failed, not because I don't have years of living the complete opposite of the way God wants me to live, but because I was there and God gave me victory over it. And because he gave me victory over it then, he'll give me victory over it now. What the devil wants to use to bind you, God wants to use to remind you of the victory that you have in him. And for some of you, that is completely foreign to you because you've never experienced a win in your spiritual life. And all you know 
is the flip side of it, is not living for Christ. Not because you were a rebel and you said, God, forget you, I'm going to live for myself, but you just haven't encountered him yet. And so therefore you've been walking and the losses are, are just stacking up. And you're wondering, man, when do I get a break? When can I beat these things? I'm struggling here. And victory starts with a life in Jesus Christ. 